You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us for Worshipology. This is a podcast for worship teams, worship leaders, and worshipers of Jesus Christ. And uh, it's just been so fun this season to talk to some brand new guests. And today uh, we are talking with Diane Sheets. She is a vocal coach based out of the Nashville, Tennessee area. And uh, I got to meet Diane back in 2017. We went on a mission trip with Brad and Rebecca uh, to Uganda and uh, just got to spend some awesome time with her. And uh, we recently had Diane out to do a vocal clinic for all of our singers at Destination Church. She's amazing. Diane, say what's up on Worshipology. What's up, Worshipology? (laughs) (laughs) I totally forgot about the Uganda thing. I mean, we... Since that time, you and I have maintained a friendship. And like you said, I came out to the church and did some stuff out there. But yeah, Uganda, that was amazing. Mission trips are like relationship builders times 10 because you just do crazy things that you would never do anywhere else, you know? Totally, totally. So it was awesome. Yeah, (laughs) it really was. I I mean, anytime you do mission work, I mean, it's just so powerful, but um I think what was so amazing about that particular trip is that we were working with kids who, I mean, kids, what, like middle school, high school, early college age, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, most of them were a part of our mission because they were skilled in music and singing and production and literature, you know, writing, preaching, and um, to be able to spend time with them was, oh, it, it, you know, it kind of checked, checked yourself, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, yeah, that that was an amazing, amazing time to be able to get to spend um, with, with these young people who love Jesus and wanted to dedicate their life and make a massive change in their own country yeah. by staying in their own country and leading and and speaking truth and and preaching the gospel. Uh, mm. it's, it's very well, inspiring. I mean, anytime you get a chance to go on a mission trip, it gets you out of your element. And totally. I think it was Mark Batterson who said, "Change of place plus change of pace equals change mm. of perspective." And totally, I think we all came out with a different perspective on our uh, calling, on our gift, how we even use what God's called us to do in the church. And what was really cool for me to see you do that I also got to see here in the United States at our church is just how you can work with anybody as a vocal coach and draw out the potential that lies in them um, to such a degree that they didn't even know they had. And so mm. I want to get into all that. Um, yeah. but, but man, for our listeners, like Diane, just kind of tell a little bit of your ministry story. Like, how did you get into singing and coaching and working with worship teams? And and now, I mean, you're working with Casting Crowns. You've worked with uh, even like Sadie Robertson on like speaking and, yeah. and going there. So it's just really cool to kind of see the the landscape of different artists that you work with. But tell us how you got there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in the church and was a part of worship ministries. And I mean, back in the day, there wasn't 
like worship music. <laughs> it was like choir music. Yeah. And so, you know, we I was in the choir and I did the cantatas and, you know, all of that stuff. But it really helped develop me musically. And then um, just a love for church music and mm. um, just learning to love the church. The church is messy, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, being a part of, you know, the church and, and that grow, growing up in the, in the church music ministries, you know, really helped put me on a path to, um, you know, want to serve in the church. And actually, when I went to college, my goal was to be a choir director. I mean, that was kind of the yeah, wow. the thing wow. I wanted to be a yeah church choir director. I don't know that I've ever told anybody that, but <laughs> but that's what <laughs> that's well. Your, your secret I is would. no longer safe, Diane. It's out there. <laughs> it's out there now. But yeah, I um and I just love choirs. You know, I love I love the idea that you have this group of worshipers that are facing other worshipers. You know, even just from a space perspective, you know, you got a group of worshipers on stage. You got a worshipers in in the room and it's just yeah i love it um so yeah i went to college uh right out of high school i went to a conservatory of music in columbus ohio which is where i'm from cool and uh capital university and i spent a couple years there there and honestly um didn't have enough money to go back to college so i worked for a couple years and uh, ended up getting a scholarship to uh, Liberty University. Okay. And en- ended up moving out to Lynchburg and finishing up my degree in music um, with Liberty. And um, that was a, a great experience. It was it was a it was a different environment. Uh, the The school of music that's there now is just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and their worship collective and and all of that, but. Um, yeah, so it really gave me a good basis. And after college, I, I did go and work at a church as a choir director. I worked in children's ministry. I worked with senior citizens and, and it was wow. it was a blast. So kind of well-rounded, but it wasn't too long after that that I ended up in Nashville and I was working for a small production company and we had a uh, like an agreement with word choral okay, yep. and yep. And we worked with um, a premier orchestrator by the name of Larry Goss. And this guy's a legend working in that particular job. I was able to touch all facets of the Christian music industry, everything from like publishing to um, like session work, studio sessions, setting up players and, um, and, you know, what, what was all involved in that musical arrangements and orchestrations. And then we actually took these projects that we were developing for word. And once they were published, we would turn it around and market it back to the churches and go in and record their singers um, and their soloists. And so then having a piece of that, you know, um, you know, working with churches was, you know, a big part of my job. And so I just felt like that was a really good experience to get a lot of 
uh, like I said, different facets of the music industry, not just from like the industry, but also the church side of it as well. Yeah. And um, so I did that for a couple years. And not long after that, I met a girl who was a voice researcher. And wow. yeah, yeah, she she was a medical arts director at the Ohio State University Voice and Swallowing Disorders Clinic. Wow. And now that is a mouthful uh, yeah. in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an impressive job title. Wow. <laughs> she and a group of voice researchers and scientists were putting together a vocal training model that was based in science and acoustics. Okay. And I spent a couple years working with her and being mentored by her. And um, it really changed my life. I really became passionate about the voice and how to use your voice in an effective way. And, and I started hearing things differently because I would understand the anatomy and physiology of the voice and its manipulations and how to achieve certain sounds. And if there was something that was um, either risky or potentially traumatic to the voice, like being able to understand what a person was doing and then being able to communicate in, um, in a way that would help them understand what they were doing and then be able to achieve the same type of acoustic sounds, but not in such a risky way. Mm. So I began teaching some workshops based on this vocal training method early on to work with a country music band actually okay um, was my first yeah like legit um pro client and that band was, was diamond rio and wow. so i don't know if wow. any of your listeners would know who they are man come on you talk but, about legends um, <laughs> they are legends seriously um and that um really helped turn their career around at that time and um and I think people in the industry started talking about what happened with them. And then the word just sort of spread. And I ended up with an opportunity to work with Mike Donahue from 10th Avenue North. Yeah. When they had their very first single, it was a song called By Your Side. And, and I think Mike would be okay with me sharing this. When they were in the studio recording that song on the bridge, he, there, uh, there was a really high note, you know, and mm -hmm. um, he, I think he said he was able to sing it twice in the studio, um, sort of in pieces, and the producer edited the, edited the vocal together, um, but he wasn't able to sing it live. Yeah. And they had an opportunity to go out on tour with Mercy Me their mm -hmm. very first um, supporting uh, tour with a, a pretty big headliner. And he, uh, their single went to number one and he wasn't able to sing it live. And so wow. the record label actually came to me and said, Hey, um, we've heard about you. Would you be willing to work with Mike and see if you can get him singing this song? Mm. Because he's going to need to sing it for radio and live and all that. And, um, and I did. And, um, and we worked together and just a sh short couple sessions and he was able to sing it like after the first session. And, um, 
my boy told everybody. <laughs> What's amazing to me about hearing that story is I think a lot of listeners and worship leaders in particular would probably agree with this, that, you know, there's, there's, you know, obviously on the drums, you can get insecure about playing a part and then you just shy away from playing that part or on guitar. Maybe, you know, cause I've had to play a lot of lead guitar lately. I just kind of like pick the easiest way to play the part. And then I just do that uh -huh. or use a capo or whatever. When it comes to singing, um, it may be, and you would know this better than I would, it might be one of the biggest musical endeavors that we find our biggest insecurities on. And, you know, most worship teams that I've served on, that I've had an opportunity to lead, have way more singers than musicians. So your, your team is comprised of all of these singers doing the one thing that has potentially the biggest insecurity in music, and you know even like this last sunday there was a note that i was trying to hit falsetto and i hit it the first service i didn't hit it the second service so i'm like maybe i just shouldn't sing that that way again you know and you just get in your head there's so many mind games that you can play talk to us a little bit about what does it look like on the psychological side as as you're singing and then just you know how it relates spiritually like you know as god's called you to do this but you're still battling you know, and then sometimes you go on the other side where you hit the note and your ego just gets inflated. Mm, and, you know, so there's right. like that balance between insecurity and over security or ego. Um, <laughs> how do you approach that when you're working with the singer? And how have you seen that? Like with Mike, I mean, obviously, like once you can sing that and you know it, it just brings this this different sort of confidence that you need. Yeah, absolutely. Singing is so mental, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, um, like you said, even for a guitar player, you know, they can get the, get in their head about something and then all of a sudden they can't play something mm. that they are skilled to be able to do. You know, they've rehearsed it. And but I think um, I think for singers, you know, there is that dynamic that your instrument is inside your body. Mm. And, you know, if something happens to it, um, if it if it goes down or you get sick or it, you know, quote unquote, kind of breaks, um, you can't take it to a store and get it fixed. You wow. can't, you know, it's inside your body and um, we have to take care of it. So vocal health is like so important, but also just understanding the instrument. It's not something that we can like take out and look at, like you can look at a guitar or drums or keyboard or whatever, the mechanics of it are sort of a mystery. Um, though there's a lot of voice science and a lot of access to, to information now that you can learn about your instrument and what it does and how to take care of it. And, and I think that that's an important piece. Knowledge breeds confidence. Wow. You know, knowledge is power, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I get a lot of requests for, from like labels or management um, when they're looking at new artists and they're like, hey, um, would love for you to work with this singer. And, you know, our big priority is just confidence. Well, well you can't just teach somebody confidence. You know, the way the way that you foster confidence is knowledge. Wow. If you know how to do something, then you can be confident in that you wow. understand how to do it, you know? Um, so really I think good. that, 
Yeah, right. It's it is good. I mean, and and it's a cha- it challenges us. It checks us. Like, hey, am I uh, um, a good steward of my gift by mm. being knowledgeable? And and I just find a lot of especially young singers kind of getting into to singing. Not maybe not necessarily like worship per se, but you know, that they just kind of do what they do, right? Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm -hmm. just kind of, I got this thing that I do and this sound and I don't really need to know how to, how to do it. It's just, that's just what I do. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. I think that's sort of a cop out. (laughs) Well, what's so cool is as you're talking about the voice, I keep hearing you say instrument and I don't think a lot of singers would, would just naturally default to this is an instrument like my voice is an instrument so just like i wouldn't throw my guitar around or you know (laughs) leave it in the cold in my car during the winter your voice is another instrument that you can take care of that you have to take care of and i mean what like when you're working with a singer and you kind of have that aha moment and and you know speaking from experience it was so fun for us to host you and have you in to do a vocal clinic because if i can count the number of times i heard people go oh like in the room as you were giving your workshop it was just those moments where it's like you think you know and then you're taught something and it's like wow everything that i thought i knew up until now just got wrecked and then you just begin to operate in this different mode now that you know something you didn't know before as you're working with and you know you travel around you go on tour with artists what's kind of like that main thing that you're just like because repetition is the key to learning and so you find yourself maybe there's that one thing that you find yourself over and over again whether it's an artist or working with a label or with a church that you're like this is kind of the common thread that i see in going from point a to point b yeah i um from a technical standpoint I find that one of the biggest things that I talk about is placement, Mm. um, placement of tone. So um, where is your tone focused in space? (laughs) I know that sort of sounds, that's very conceptual, right? But um, what I find is that many singers are affecting their voice and some of that affect can be either traumatic or constricting to the voice or limiting to the voice and um, helping, helping people to understand the difference between the using an affect or being a slave to an affect. Wow. Um, And I, I find that that singers start to mimic other people and um, styles and, then they become like locked into this stylistic thing that's actually not theirs. It's wow. not, it's not something that's natural to them. And then they've created these habits that aren't actually effective for them as wow. a communicator and all art. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's like dancing or, um, literature, architecture, film, whatever it may be, it's all about communication. Art is about communication. Mm. And if you look up the definition of art, and we hear people say this, I'm an artist, I'm a singer-songwriter, I'm a worship leader, you know, it's all this art 
thing, which it is. Um, But if you look up the definition of art, it's something that's created with skill. And, and so if you just take that skill and look at that word, I mean, there's something that you need to do Mm. and, and and perfect, um, constantly be perfecting and, and working at that skill, but it's created with skill that expresses an important idea or, or feelings. And as worship leaders, I mean, it's a, it's a sobering thought here, but we carry the greatest message of the world, mm. which is the gospel. And so when, when you think about yourself as an artist and you think about the fact that your art is about the most important message in the world, yeah, that, that should be a sobering thought as to how you treat your instrument, how you create with it you know, how, how you let it speak. Wow. And it needs to be authentic to, to who God God created you to be. And, um, you know, so whether, whether it's like a live performance or in the studio or whatever environment it may be where I'm working with a singer, one of my big jobs, um, is to help eliminate distractions well, that's and good. that's really good. Yeah. Because a distraction prevents a listener from getting to the message. And the message is the most important part, you wow. know? And so getting back to, to placement, helping a singer really speak and let the unique characteristics of their voice come out um, as they are speaking a message, even though that that speech is influenced by musical notes and all of that it's still about speaking and i think that if if we get that in our head that my job as a worship leader is not to perform wow it it, it is to communicate and lead um i i think it just changes the paradigm of where we should be focused that's so big because, you know, as you were talking about the definition of really what it is to, to create art, I mean, you know, this is something we've said here on the podcast before that Psalm 33 verse three, you know, uh, sing a new song, shout with joy and play with skill. And in the Hebrew, right. that means like that skill portion is like, whatever you do with excellence, make it beautiful for the Lord. I think mm. when you talk about um, the difference between performance and communication, even. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, like the pressure just kind of releases off of you because the, when you're in performance mode, you take on a lot of that pressure. Like, what if I mess up? What if I hit a wrong note? But when you're communicating, it's more like, man, I really hope the message that I'm called to communicate gets through. And it puts a lot more emphasis on the role of the Holy Spirit. Like we always joke around that like, hey, like Sunday morning, it's not your reputation at stake. It's God's. And he does a pretty right. good job of defending his reputation. He does a pretty good job of being who <laughs> he is. And and we just yeah. get the opportunity to carry that message. You know, as you've worked yes. with worship teams and worship leaders, man, I'd just love to hear one or two um, maybe stories or just like examples of like how they've gone from that that pressure, you know, like, man, like, yeah, it's it's all on me to like, because I see the confidence come back when you when you work with somebody, there's just this restoration of the potential that is in you. We can unlock that and that can come out. 
because I think like we've said before in this conversation, there's the the mental Olympics that you go through when you're mm. not hitting a note or when you're not singing up to your potential. And, you know, when it comes to leading worship, you know, Sunday is always around the corner. And so it's one of those things that I think you just have to stay locked in. Um, what's what's something that you've kind of seen in helping people um, not get lost in the mental games, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, the first thing that kind of comes to mind, and it's something that I always talk about, it's it's speaking to the audience that's in front of you. What I mean by that is, and and I think we all can put ourselves in situations where where we've experienced this, where the worship leader is, let's say this worship leader is leading um, a church of 500 people, and um, that's their congregation size. You know, maybe there's three to 500 people in a room. However, that worship leader, um, in his mind, and, and the audiences aren't stupid, you know, I, I, <laughs> they, they're actually pretty smart. Um, they can tell when that worship leader is actually singing to an audience of 10,000 that is in his mind. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like, how many times have you possibly experienced someone on stage who isn't actually speaking to the audience in front of him? It's almost like he's he's performing, quote unquote, performing to the arena Wow! that he has, you know, maybe he's mimicking an artist who is performing for those, you know, the, you know, a live performance of, you know, worship in a room of 10,000 people. However his job is to speak to those 500 people that are in a room with him or her. Wow. wow. And, and I do find that that is a challenge understanding that you need to speak to the people in front of you. So all of these, you know, like phrases that may not be applicable for your congregation, um, you're speaking things that they're flippant phrases Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think I think that we need to check ourselves on that. You know, that we really need to prepare what it is that the Lord has put on your heart to speak to your people. Wow. And, and to the people in front of you. That's really good because, you know, I just remember early on in my church planting phase, um, you know, I would just get, you, you get these illusions of grandeur and then you also get um, the, the ultimate lows when maybe your expectation isn't met and there's that gap of mm. frust- frustration, you know? And then I just remember hearing my dad, who's also a church planner and a pastor up in New York. And he told me, you can only love the people who are in front of you. Yes. You know, and uh, mm, yes. You know, you can only preach to who's in front of you right then and there. Yes. You know, yes. And, and we see this example, obviously with Jesus, it's like any room that he walked into, he was there for those people. Mm-hmm. He, he was there with the blind man. He was there uh, with the lepers. He was there with the sick and the crippled and the, and the downcast and broken. And I think that's a beautiful reminder to all of us because mm. in a day and age where, you know, you can get online and, and you immediately, and, and this has been a common thread in our conversation with singing and leading worship. There's that danger of imitation. There's the yes. danger of mimicking. And it's like, man, God didn't call you to be so-and-so. God called you to be mm-hmm. you. 
and mm-hmm. to love the people and to lead the people that are in front of you. That's a great reminder, Diane. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I hope this person is okay with me sharing the story, but um, I recently started working with um, a guy by the name of Sean B. Mm. I don't know if he's, he was on winter jam this past uh, year, 2023. He came from a background where he, he was a worship pastor and like a family pastor at a church out in Denver and he was using rap to um, like get his kids engaged, Yeah, you know, like speaking to them in a language that they were going to actually hear him. So he was writing about rap music and, um, and then started writing more like more CCM pop kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, he ended up through some, you know, just God directing and um, on this winter jam platform. And so he, he went from, you know, his small church and some small concerts that he was doing to tens of thousands of people, Yeah, you know, and he, he had, he's a hard worker, this guy. Oh my goodness. And he's only been singing for like two years uh, or three. I mean, he was more rapping, but he's learning to sing and, this guy is so dedicated and such a hard worker. He's all about per- perfecting his skill, you know, and, and he worked like crazy for this winter jam set. Yeah. And so every night for months on end, he was performing to these crowds of, of 10,000 people or more, whatever it may be. And, you know, some people got interested people, as far as like industry people were, a record label, a couple of record labels and, and some booking agents asked him to put together a showcase. And so um, that's where I became engaged with him and his team was to put together this showcase um, for labels and booking. And so we started working together and our first rehearsal where he was going to kind of show me what what he was going to do, you know, he had his showcase planned out mm-hmm. and man, I mean, he was dancing and jumping around and, and the things that he was like shouting out to the audience, it was like, you know, you were in an arena <laughs> and I said, look, some of the most impactful showcases that I've ever seen was when the artists actually spoke to the people in the room. Wow. Again, it's speaking to the people in the room. And I said, I know you, you've got all this muscle memory that, that, you know, that's for these big arenas. However, um, you're going to be in a room with industry people who uh, I know it's going to feel like a lot of pressure and you want to make everything right and perfect. But at the end of the day, they are people with the same struggles and, and trials that you have. They're married or single, they have children, they have families, they have financial issues, they have fears. You need to speak to them. Wow. And um, it changed the whole way that we approached this showcase. He went up there and really spoke to them. Wow. And the biggest feedback that we got from the booking agents and the um, record labels is wow, this guy is an amazing communicator. Wow, and that's and that's what it's all about because he actually said something that stuck with them. 
Mm. I, I know every person that was in that room walked out with something that hit them where the, the Holy Spirit had an opportunity to minister. Yeah. And it was a showcase. Wow. Which, I mean, just the definition of that, just, you know. <laughs> show like is in the title. Right, right. Yeah, right. It's a wow. show. But, um, but you know, when, when, when you have a calling in your life that is to minister and speak to people, believers, lost or the church, you have to get out of the way and wow. you have to speak to them directly and, um, you know, eliminate those distractions and allow the Holy Spirit the space to really minister to people. Wow. We don't have much time left. Um Bummer. I just want to, I, I know, I feel like I could talk to you for another hour and we'd be scratching the surface here. Um, you know, I'm excited to just see how this impacts people. You're always such an inspiration and a, and a motivator uh, every time mm -hmm. I talk to you and just get around you. Diane, thank you so much for just encouraging me today. And I know everybody who listens will be encouraged. Don't be an imitator. You. Find your voice, love the people in front of you and uh, find that confidence. You're the best. Yes. We're going to yes. put some show notes in there just on how people can contact Diane. And uh, yeah, you're the best. Thank you just for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com. <laughs>